Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with a woman who is adaptable, focused, and has a growth mindset. In these distinct times in our history, I don't know that there is anything more valuable than that. Nicole Jordan has held executive positions for companies like David Jones, Warner Brothers, and Sports Girl, and founded six of her own bootstrap businesses as well. She sits on four boards, worked with VCs, SMEs, and accelerator companies to create growth strategies, and yet it's her story of adopting her Korean son when he was only four weeks old as a single mother that has me intrigued about what drives this woman. She has worked for herself in business. She has been the managing executive for big names in business, which I kind of translate to mean she did all the work behind the scenes, but somebody else got the kudos. She does the grunt work to win grants for organizations, and she's found herself in a whole new realm of reinvention during COVID-19. I cannot wait to uncover what a woman like this is thinking at a time like now. So Nick, you ready for this? Sure am. <laughs> I, for those of you who are joining us on the YouTube, and I encourage you guys to go check it out. You have to watch people's faces when they're being introduced. <laughs> I'm like, is that me? Is that really me? <laughs> is that really me? And I'm always open to correction. I interviewed Don Fraser the other day and she, I had her age one year wrong. She, it was perfect. She didn't say it at first, but she wove it in the correction. Oh, so feel free to do that at any time. And look, I know we're going to talk about innovation. We're going to talk about the planet business and all that fun stuff. But first and foremost, tell us the story of adopting your son, William, <laughs> all those years ago. <laughs> Sure. Um, well, look, thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to plan this for so long. And uh, I think this is actually the perfect time because, as you said, this is a great story to share. So I'm really excited, Sarah. So thank you very much. Um, so uh, adopting my son um, is the, the greatest thing that I've ever done. You listed off all these achievements, but nothing nothing is as great as uh, as that moment and I don't consider it an achievement I consider it a gift I am just so lucky uh, to have him in my life um, so it was a really long process 
uh, it took um, over three years um, to um, have all of the paperwork approved. And then you're there every day waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for a phone call. Um, so, you know, most um, humans go through a nine-month gestation period. I went through uh, a three-year gestation period and I had no idea when this baby was coming. And then one day I got the call and um, I nearly fainted. It was just, oh, I, I just couldn't believe it. And then after getting the call um, to say that William was my son, I had to wait until all of the paperwork um, and all of the approvals um, had gone through because there's all the government um, bureaucracy to go through until he could come home. So all I had was um, a photo, which I still have, of him um, at four weeks old um, to, to look at and to cherish until the moment that I got to travel over to bring him home. So that became then another, it was almost six months um, before I could bring him home. Uh, so that was a really, really long time to wait to, to breathe in that baby. Um, but I will say that um, the day we met was absolutely unbelievable. I was in Seoul and um, I've walked into uh, Eastern, which is the wonderful um, hospital. Uh, it's a private facility um, because they don't have a social welfare system. Um, in Korea and I've walked in there and um, Mrs Bjorn, the lady who'd been looking after William for all this time, she brought William in uh, to meet me and I've walked into the room and he's seen me as I've come into the room and his eyes have locked on me like, where have you been? I have been waiting for you and you are now never allowed out of my sight. And everyone in the room started crying because um, normally that doesn't happen, but there was such a powerful connection between us. Um, it was just, yeah, it was quite spiritual. It was just amazing. And I have to say that um, in the time leading up to um, adopting William, um, I used to have these dreams of dancing with a baby with black hair. And I didn't remember them, but it wasn't until William was home and I was having one of those moments, and I'm sure you as a parent, Sarah, know this, when your baby is asleep, that's when you sometimes have that shower that you haven't had for a couple of days. And I would shower with the door open and the sound on in his room so I could hear him. And I'm finally having that shower with one foot in the shower and one foot out. And I'm under the water and I went, oh, my God, that's that dream. I remembered having the dream of dancing with the baby and it was him. So I'd been having this for years. Um, so, yeah, and then there he was. And, like, I, I feel the emotion. I always know when someone's, something's connecting, when I feel that emotion straight away, mm. I did when you said you had that dream of a baby with black Yeah. So was that something as a little girl, like you always knew you wanted to have a child? Because to have a child as a single mother, to go through all that you went through, from an adoption point of view, to me, mm. the commitment and like what you did to bring it into manifestation is massive. So when did this start, this desire? Um, well, you know, I, I love children and children um, really love me. Uh, there's something, I don't know, um, my mom always says I should have had, you know, a hundred hundred kids um we'll be walking through a shopping center and babies will lean out of their prams to <laughs> uh, to engage with me i don't know i just connect really naturally with them i love them i really really love them um and i 
I look, I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't expect, you know, I didn't know where, how my life was going to turn out. Um, but I got to a point in my life where I knew that I wanted to have a family. And um, uh, this was the, the way I was going to form my family. Do you know, I never actually imagined being pregnant. You know how when you're, when you're kids growing up and, you know, you play with the, having the, you know, the pillow in your tummy and everything. For me, I never got any of that. I never could see it. So um, it just felt, it, it all felt really natural. Um, yeah. So that that's, is really cool. Mm, I like mm. hearing that because I think it's really nice to be able to honor the way that it was meant to happen for you. Hmm. And that, you know, when you hear these stories, I think, again, this podcast is about creating possibility for people. And one of the best ways to do that is to see someone else doing it. And we have had another woman on here who's had adopted children as well. And it was very powerful. And so now before we press the record button, we realized that you have Williams very intense. So when he looked at you with that intensity straight away, what do you think that was connecting with? Um, Oh, I think it was, it was our hearts that were connecting. It was connecting, you know, somewhere deep within each of our souls. We knew that we'd been waiting for each other. Um, there were, it was just undeniable. Um, they, when you um, adopt a child, they go through, docs doesn't do too much for you. They want to make sure that um, you're doing all the right things, but there's no, there's no support mechanisms in place. But you do have regular meetings with them um, once you come home. And one of the challenges um, that a lot of adoptive parents have is being able to form a bond um, with, their, with their child, right? Um, and I, I became friends with some other um, adoptive parents and one of them really, really struggled. Um, you know, she openly admitted she didn't like um, her son. Um, we're no longer friends because I couldn't have that relationship with her. I couldn't be authentic anymore when she told me that. Um, but um, that didn't happen with us. Um, there was, it was really meant to be. It was something so much more powerful than physical. Um, William grew in my heart. He didn't grow in my tummy. And, um, you know, it's, it's so, that's how we both felt about each other. I could articulate that he couldn't because he was uh, just a baby, but, um, you know, it's, it's very normal. Um, you know, we talk about, I, I wrote him a book when he was a baby, um, before he came home about his adoption story. Um, as a little baby growing up, um, we used to um, do cutout pictures together of his adoption story. So we've talked about it since day dot. We've been back to Korea. Um, we have a strong connection with Korea. Um, so it was all, it's all very natural. It's all really normal. And, and yeah, for me, it was something you know, very deep, very primal, actually, um, the connection. Yeah. I've never heard anybody say that about growing their heart. That was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how I transitioned to a business conversation after that. <laughs> somehow it's like you're many things. And I know that you were a businesswoman before you had William and you still mm-hmm. are. So what mm-hmm. is it? Um, what do you love most about business? Because I know you've experienced many sides of it. So what is it about business that you love? Um, I think I like creating things. Um, at the end of the day, I'm a creator and um, it's a little bit like Lego. I used to love building with Lego and I think it's that. You know, I love, I love building things. I love creating things. And you know what else? I love, I love making people feel good. I love making people feel happy. Um, and 
if I can go and make a difference in a business that's going to improve the business, because at the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter what business we're in, we're all in customer service. We all want to make people feel happy, right? So your podcast is about trying to bring joy to people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm working in retail, it's about bringing joy to people's lives. And I want to do that authentically. So when, a, when I had my retail businesses, I didn't want to just sell stuff. Um, to put money in the till. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to um, bring joy to people's lives. And people really felt that. And I think that's what the success was of my business. Um, And so even when I worked with other organisations, that's how I've always done it. I take it, I really take it to heart. And um, there's something that's really genuine and um, quite passionate about what I do. So, yeah, I love building things and I love making people happy. Yeah, It's as simple as that. I like hearing that. And I'm good at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I can see how you've had lots of different roles inside of that. So you've had your own businesses. Mm. So as long as you're making people happy and improving the lot in life, you're happy? Doesn't matter which? Yeah, pretty much. Although it's really interesting. Um, You know, I've I've, um, obviously had my own businesses. I've been in the corporate world. I've moved out of the corporate world. I'm back in the corporate world. Um, And people constantly say, Nikki, why don't you go and, you know, uh, you know start another business? And um, I'm at another sort of crossroads now because uh, I, I don't want to do that. Um, I've done it and I've been successful at it. And I think you as an athlete would understand that too. Once you've achieved a certain thing, you want to, you know, what's the next thing? And so, um, yes, I could go and do that, but I don't want to go back and repeat something. I want to go on and do something else. So for me, it's about being able to um, do something with purpose. Um, and I've got beyond wanting to run my own business. I now want to do something with purpose. And that's where working in the innovation sector um, has been really interesting for me. Um, and I think it's now about saying, all right, I want to give back. And how do I give back? How do I give back to community how do I give back to the world um, you know what can I do to bring my skills to um, you know where we're positioned in society now and we're, there's lots of challenges we're facing I mean here we are coming out of uh, this pandemic and um, how are we going to to rebuild the world because I don't think it's um, business as usual I think it's um, this is a great opportunity for us to, to look at the world differently and um, to think about how we can do a better job than what we've been doing before. And in line with that and purpose, I, I know you say there's no planet B. <laughs> so coming out of COVID-19, like you're referring to, and as the restrictions mm-hmm. begin to lift, especially here in Australia, you know, a lot of people are going to rise from this moment without the same job or the same work they had before. Yeah. What would you say to them? Like, how can they deal with this idea of, you know, literally innovating from a work point of view? Well, as you know, I'm one of those people who's coming out of this um, with um, the rug having been pulled from underneath me. Um, and I think... Well, I so, so, can I interrupt for one sec? Let's hmm. talk about the rug for a sec because um, okay. that's a really good expression. So what does that feel like to feel... What's that moment like when things are one way and then whoosh, it's different? Yeah. um, So, look, I think um, there's a a few things to to sort of unpack there. First of all, um, 
I, it wasn't unexpected. Um, yeah, because um, I, when I'm in an, in my work environment, um, I don't ever look at it, um, look at my role or what I'm doing, um, just with the lens of me. Um, so, and I think that's because um, I always take a you know a business leadership sort of view on things. Um, so, I I expected it. Um, but even when you expect it, um, it doesn't make it any easier to deal with, right? So, um, sorry, I haven't had a haircut in months and my hair is just keeps falling in my eyes, so I have to keep pushing. She's doing the Justin Bieber, for those of you that are... Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's um, all good. I'm sorry. Um, and so, yeah, even though I expected it and I, you know, um, my team um, even said because I'd articulated it to my team um, that I thought that this was going to happen. Um, they were like, oh, my God, Nicole, you you named it, you called it. Even though um, I had anticipated it, it didn't take away from that gut-wrenching feeling, that wounding, like you've been punched in the stomach and, you know, you've been winded, that that it didn't take away from any of that because one of the things that happens because I've been on the other side of the table as well um, is that it challenges your self-esteem and as women we struggle with that in a professional sense anyway because we suffer from all sorts of issues like imposter syndrome and um, you know feeling like we're good enough and all the rest of it and so for that to happen your first thing is well what did I do wrong yeah, and that's such a female response, you know. Why wasn't I good enough, yeah, to keep my job? So the, I guess the good thing um, about this circumstance is that, you know, you're not alone, whereas in other times when I've been delivering that news to people, that's very much the response. Why did you pick me um, over somebody else? Whereas in my situation, um, one-third of our uh, organisation lost their job, a third, yeah. And um, I was only relatively new to the organisation. It made perfect sense because obviously they needed to reduce um, the numbers of people and the woman who has taken over my job, she's taken on my job plus um, she's the chief operating officer. So she's, you know, taking on more. I hadn't been there long enough to do that. Um, you know, I couldn't have possibly. So I get it, you know, um, but it didn't take away from the fact that it's wounding. And you know what makes it worse is that I actually really love what I was doing. Um, and even now, um, I love the organisation. I can't be angry. I can't be upset um, because a lot, a lot of the time people, you go through all of these stages of grief um, and I don't know whether it's that I just haven't got there yet, but I haven't got to the angry part where I'm like, <laughs> Damn them, you know, for doing that to me. Yeah, I can't, I can't um, be be angry. Um, I'm still in the space of um, I just feel really sad because I really love um, what I was doing and I love the organisation and I think very highly of the organisation. So, look, um, ask me in a couple of months' time, I might feel completely differently. Well, I'm uh, that's a good yeah. point you're making about a lot of people might be able to have anger or disappointment against an organization. Whereas during this time, like you said, we get it. Of course it happened. So I think a lot of people will relate to that. And yeah. then all your experience, because you've done so many different things over your working life, what 
where does your mindset come into after that? Like, and I know yeah. you're not through the process yet, but I know you are a um, strategist woman, you know, where <laughs> do you go with that. How do you, um, yeah. Do you, down? do you just try to get Zen about it? How do you go about it? Mm, I think, look, to be really honest, um, I think, um, you know, whilst I'm feeling all of that and you know, there's lots of good positive vibes there, I think when I look to the future, um, the number one thing is fear. So, yeah, I definitely have some, you know, um, some really weak moments um, or some really down moments because um, the the future is is challenging. You know, if if one third of our organisation has lost their job, that means that's um, a whole lot of people who are out there looking for a job. And we know that the reason we've lost their jobs is because um, your know, businesses have been self imploding. So the jobs, there's just not the opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. So my biggest my biggest um, thing at the moment is fear, um, and I have to try and keep a lid on that fear because what happens when you let fear take over is that that will derail me as I am going forward to put my best self forward for the opportunities that exist out there. The other challenge I have is that um, you've spoken so beautifully and so highly of what I've done and you make me feel terribly humble, but um, that's a that's a problem in itself because um, when I go forward um, for roles and I look at opportunities, I'm prepared to compromise what I'm doing, but employers aren't so willing um, to, to do that because um, they think that I won't be satisfied and they think that I won't be happy uh, to stay in a role that maybe is a few um, levels below what I'm currently doing. So that's a challenge too. How do I how do I present myself and how do I reassure them and almost guarantee them uh, that you know yes I'll be fine and yes I'll stay with this. So you know there's there's lots of unique challenges which I think once I get to the other side of this. Um, I'll be able to reflect on and I'll definitely use it uh, as I go forward and talk to people about it and help them um, with their own challenges. But right now, they're things that I've never encountered before. I've never been here before. So, you know, these are, this is a brand new world for me. Hey, and like hats off to you, but that is who you are, is your willingness to be open in the fear because mm. I think you're, more people are going to relate to you mm. than, like you said, a third of people. If you just look at that in itself, a third of people are going to relate. And thank you for acknowledging that the fear is there, Mm -hmm. that you do have to put a lid on it. However, you recognize that sometimes you can't, it gets bigger than you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a lot of different challenges, but if you were to think about um, William, for Mm -hmm. example, your son, he's into sport, but let's say he was looking for work and he had never been in that position before. What would you be telling him? So if he was looking for work and yeah, and he never had a, had work before, so it's like a whole new territory for him. So yeah, maybe he has had jobs. I just assumed with sport, maybe he hadn't had work. Yeah. No, he actually has. So he, we've been through this process just this year of um, him uh, getting his first job, which. Um, was was really exciting for him. Uh, so he works uh, for um, for Woolworths, um, and um, yeah, which is super cool. And um, it was a really great process because um, you know 
I wanted to encourage him to build his resume and to think about his achievements because he'd not had any work before. And so how do you describe yourself and bring out your skills to show that even though you haven't been in a work environment, but to show how those skills that you have are transferable to a work environment. So it was, it was a great process going through that with him and helping him develop his resume and then walking him through the interview process and um, you know how he needed to present himself and how he needed to respond and to follow up to interviews and communication uh, to him ultimately um, then being able to secure um, his job so some of the advice I gave him was um, certainly when he started um, was uh, about you know making sure that um, he was always being of service um, so um, you know to to want to help and to, to want to ask, you know, what else can I do? And to smile at people and to engage with people and just to say a warm hello uh, means um, so much. So it's the simple things that you don't need to be a, you know, a, a genius um, to, to make an impact. And I think... <laughs> yeah, but that's um, a difference maker. I think that especially these days... Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not there for everyone. So It's not. It's not. So... Um, yeah, I, I, you know, they were the sorts of things that I really encouraged him to do. And that's not easy because you know what it's like, I don't know what it's like to be a 15-year-old boy, but I know what it's like to be a 15-year-old girl and it's awkward when you get to that age. And so I had to really be careful um, with, you know, what I was doing and saying so that he could feel, you know, build his own confidence but also going through that really awkward, difficult time, you know, um, Oh, I remember my first job and I never had a normal job after. <laughs> Must have scarred me um, because I was so um, wanting to do a great job that I'd almost work myself up. We did oh. talk about that, didn't we, before? Yes. Were, again. yes. Um, and I remember it feeling so stressful and any kind of like thing I did wrong, I took really hard. And, and I really think that was my last working for someone experience. So I ended up doing lots of my own work after that. Um, But, but that's not a bad thing. So that was, to me, that's also quite cool is that I was able to create something independent from that experience. Mm, Definitely. Um, And so I don't, I, we didn't, I kind of didn't plan this question, but if you could, because you talked about wanting to work with purpose and I know Mm. that, you know, there's no planet B and there's a lot of things that really warm your heart. If you could create the perfect job, <laughs> ideal thing. You could have it all because a lot of people don't do this. They're like a bit scared to do it, but it's just you and me. If you could have whatever you wanted in the ideal and it might not exist yet, what would you create? Mm. Um, I've been, I've sort of been thinking about that because it's like, well, what do I, you know, where do I go after? Where do I position myself? And, um, Look, I think um, there's, a, there's a lot of areas. There's not just one thing. Um, uh, I would like to um, work with, I, I love working with people. So I obviously want to keep working with people. And I think I've got um, uh, a great ability to be able to influence and change uh, things, um, whether that be um, through people or through um, what we do. So I would like to work, um, yeah, I think I'd like to work with people. So if there was a, you know, for example, um, 
I would love to see um, organisations having a chief wellness officer. You know, oh, okay. um, I think that would be a super important role. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one area. So, you know, where we're considering, um, you know, about, you know, our well-being and our resilience and health and lifestyle, all of those things. Yeah. Because that's super important in our everyday. Um, and not just around um, ourself. I think um, what we need to do is to think a little bit more than just about ourselves, because we've become really good at thinking about what do I need and you know what's important to me. But I think if there was a chief wellness officer's role, it would be about what do we also need to do to take care of um, you know everybody else and the planet. Um, so it's it's you know it's that whole that's that that sort of whole approach. Uh, so that, that's what I'd love to do. And I put her on the spot, everyone. I hope you realise that's like a really massive question. And, <laughs> and thank you for having a go at it. And also I hope everybody listening has a go. Because that's one thing a gift my mom gave me was this ability to give me that feeling like I could make it up. Mm. I never felt slotted into lawyer, doctor, like mm. veterinarian. I really always felt like I could create a role that didn't exist. And so I, I'm, I am, I'm going to keep going on you with this question. <laughs> really cool about chief wellness officer. I love it. Um, who would you work for? So if you mm. want to work for a corporation mm. as a chief wellness officer, but you get to choose, you get to create who you want to work for in the whole world. Mm. What would you, who would you want to help be well? Well, me being me, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it easy um, so I don't want to go and work for the organisations that are already doing good stuff. You know, that would be too obvious, right? I want to go and work with the ones who really need the help. So I'd love to go and work with government and banks and, um, you know, like the Macquarie Banks of this world and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I did <laughs> um, not think you were going to say that, but that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my brother works for Macquarie Banks, so I can say it. Um, the people who really need to change, who really need to sort of step it up and see, um, who, you know, who need to work more with integrity and, um, uh, you know, see, you know, the, the true value. Um, Why did you um, choose that challenging environment? Because I like a challenge. I like, I mean, there's no point in going and doing it, right? That's why I'm good at building businesses because, um, you know, if it's just about, you know, making, you know, keeping it all running smooth, that's not for me. That's why I sold my businesses, you know. Um, once I'd got to a point, you know, where they were just, they were making heaps of money and ticking along really nicely, that's when I'd get bored and I'd want to move on. <laughs> but <laughs> I'd what's so cool about hearing your answer, you start to get, I think in an interview scenario, right? So I, I, <laughs> I was actually applying for, it's a wellness job. Um, <laughs> and that's like, just go through the process because you've never had a normal job. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And it was a good, it was good to do actually, because I, I didn't even know how to do a resume. Like I didn't, the cover letter. So I Googled the cover letter, right? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Like the, the idea, like the way people were describing themselves, it just didn't sound like a person. And also the, the job description, I'm like, who is this? This, this is like a robot, an mm. unattainable perfectionistic model. And mm. so what I love about your answer is like, as you begin to say it, we get the, the resilience, like the kind of character that you really bring 
to something, which to me, it can't be really explained in fancy words, can it? On a couple? No. I mean, no. No. It so, can't. But yeah. that comes to my upbringing too. Um, that was so funny when you were talking about it. My mom um, has been such, and my dad, but um, I, I remember my mom's words. She probably spoke more than dad. She does talk more than. <laughs> That's where I get it from. Um, I can remember I was only seven years old and we were, we were, I grew up in Sydney. I've lived all my life in Sydney. And um, uh, we were driving in to pick up dad from work and um, there was a street sweeper. We, we have them in Brisbane, they're, but they're not, um, they're not manual anymore. They've got these fancy sort of, you know, um, like tractor things and they, you know, clean the bins and the streets and everything. And um, there was this guy, we were going down um, Pitt Street in Sydney and uh, there was this guy there just near Wynyard Station and he was, you know, sweeping the street and you know, he was doing an absolutely meticulous, marvellous job. And mum said to me, Nikki, um, see that guy, see what he's doing, see what a good job he's doing, not just what he's doing, but what a good job he's doing. She said, I don't care what you do in your life, um, but whatever you do, you do it to the best of your ability and you take pride in it. That was my benchmark. Like, I wasn't expected, I was sent to a private school, all those things, but I was never expected to be a doctor or a lawyer or any of those things, even though, um, you know, my parents said, you know, you could you could do that. You've got the capability, but that wasn't the expectation. It was follow your passion and do it to the best of your ability. And I mean, what, what a great, um, you know, way to set yourself up, you know, for your future. And I've kind of borrowed that and done it with William. It's, I don't have expectations. You don't have to be this, you know, um, just, you know, you do what makes you feel great and follow that passion and it all stands you in good stead. So I think that's really awesome. Girl, what else do we have to say? That was just so great. And thank you for, you know, voicing your mother's words. The street sweeper has <laughs> And, you know, I really, really believe that the spoken word is power. Mm. And what you spoke today in front of a lot of people, we're going to hear that it lives in them. And, and I think that this is what I hope for everyone, that we get more comfortable sharing our heart like that, sharing our dreams, because that's what Nat taught me is that mm. a lot of people dream in private because they're afraid that they might fail, mm. but not one dream. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to raise a dream. And if we don't tell anybody what we want to do, like you just shared, then mm. no one can help us. So I really appreciate you in this state of uncertainty that a lot of people are going to relate to. And I just hope everybody has the balls to do, sorry, that's kind of inappropriate, but just has the balls to do what you just did, which is inside of the fear, ask yourself, if I could have whatever I want, what would I do? Because I promise you that will have power. And I look forward to hearing some of the really amazing stories of what, what gets manifested after that. So thank you. No, thank you. It's been so nice talking to you. It's great. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So... 
open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.